He's a former police officer who went to night school and became an attorney. He represents police officers throughout the southeast portion of the United States. He's in close contact with organizations like the FOP, PBA. He's here to talk about the shortage of police officers. Is a crisis point near? Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Calling us from Georgia, one of my favorite guests. Lance LaRusso, and I say this all the time, he's an attorney and I like him. He's also a former law enforcement officer. He does a lot of work to help law enforcement officers across the United States and Southeast United States in particular. And he's also an author. Man, Lance, how you doing? I'm doing well. It's great to talk to you again. It's a pleasure having you on the show. I gotta say this. I don't know where you get your energy from. You need to bottle some of that and send it to me so I can partake Bottom line is my writing is uh, kind of my zen and escape, and I would hope that everybody had some sort of an escape that just let them forget a couple of hours and kind of get inside their own head. You've written several books. you got a brand new book out now. What's it called? It's called Hunting of Men, and it's my first full-length novel. It's about a uh, cold case, an investigation by a homicide detective, and the type of cold case we all hope never occurs. It's the cold case murder of a law enforcement officer. So I know you and all of your guests would understand how much that would turn a police department upside down. Yes, it would. And unfortunately, there are a few out there that have been cold for a very, very long time. And it's it's horrible when it happens at all, ever. But when you can't solve it, it's got to be brutal for the, the agency. Oh, no doubt. Tough for the agency, tough for the prosecutors, tough for the family, and tough for the community. Because the bottom line is, at that point... Somebody has made a decision to kill a law enforcement officer, which is the highest level of security our communities can have. And whoever would do that is going to be pretty dangerous for everyone else. They have no qualms, no hesitation with killing other people. No doubt. What's the name of your new book again? Hunting of Men. I keep thinking there's an old quote, I believe it was Hemingway, something along the lines of when you get used to hunting men, you can never break that cycle or something like that? Well done. You you win the English award because uh, there was one that I, that was one that I remembered from school. It's there is no hunting like the hunting of men. Now, that title could be misleading. For people who are not in law enforcement, you, you might think, okay, I've got a gun. It's like hunting deer. I've never hunted. But when you're going after predatory people they're violent criminals and you know they are it is quite the rush Uh, the bottom line is you know i've had uh, reporters ask me before it's like why do officers get so excited when they make an arrest why do they get so excited when they catch a bad guy and first of all just like any other profession it's what they signed on to do you're always proud when you accomplish your mission and when you're going out there and hunting the most dangerous predator that can be available is is an is a person hunting other people or trying to kill other people or assault other people or rape other people, 
if it does not give you a rush to be able to take that person off the street as a law enforcement officer, then you're probably in the wrong line of work. I imagine that's what this book is about. I did a little bit of peeking at the website, Lance LaRusso Books. The main character in the novel is Johnny Till. He's a new homicide detective, and he picks up a cold case involving the cold-blooded murder of Officer Michael Dunlap. Is any of this true, or is it based on truth? It is based on, uh, for instance, so the characters will be based on all of the cast of characters that I've met and uh, teaching all over the United States, uh, in Canada, working with cops. Uh, these, are, these are real characters. These are people with good depth. And so far as the stories, um, the story is complete fiction, but it comes from basically the frustration that officers experience. It's not like it is on TV, and that's one of the things I committed to was writing a novel that was not the TV cop. If you're going to be looking for the uh, main character who's a raging alcoholic who can't have a relationship with anybody, then this is not the book for you. If you're waiting to hear about a character who draws his patrol Glock out of his holster and takes the safety off, this also is not the book for you because we're actually putting realistic, if you will, crime-fighting techniques into the book. So I think that people will be excited, law enforcement folks and people who know a little bit about investigations will be excited to not have to put that nonsense that they read aside. And I think the public really right now is thirsty for the reality of what these officers go through and how they work together and how they actually solve crimes as opposed to sitting at their desk, getting a hot tip, going out, kidding up and arresting the bad guy. I'm so glad to hear that you're not following suit with these stereotypical portrayals of of police officers, that raging alcoholic, pill-popping guy who doesn't get along with anybody. Every movie, every book seems to have to have that guy in there somewhere as a prominent role. Yeah, it's absolutely true, and I don't know where it started. I I understand that characters uh, have to have depth, and there's actually some, uh, several folks have said this, the mark of a good novel is you create great characters and then torture them to death. And we've all, you know, Rocky uh, movies would not be great if Rocky won every fight. So I understand that part. But at the same time, I think in law enforcement and in the country, we're suffering from that stereotype. We have officers that get some PTSD or we have officers that have a, uh, a domestic problem. And we have people out there talking about how, well, you know, these cops, they, they're all hard chargers and hard drinkers and they have uh, emotional problems. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. What officers see, a lot of times they'll never get out of their heads. There's things that uh, you and I have both seen that I I wish I could unsee. But the bottom line is we're looking at situations where we're trying to portray the drama, if you will, of the actual law enforcement procedures and the actual lives of law enforcement officers without relying on the the stereotypes because they're not true. And they're not accurate. I've gotten to the point where... To be totally honest with you, I've watched a lot of Netflix, and I've started watching a lot of BBC-produced content about law enforcement because, in my opinion, they do a much better job of character development of the officers than their American counterparts. Yeah, you know, I've seen a few of them that were pretty good, uh, and they do. One of the things that I've seen them do is really talk more about the specific interactions of the officers with the public. So I'm trying to remember the name of the series. It was uh, right. It was during World War II, and it was about a uh, detective who was basically still with the police department and working crimes uh, and solving right during World War II. 
So it, it, they really uh, gave a lot more depth to those interviews. What's it like to walk into someone's living room? And this is what I talk about in the book. What's it like to walk into someone's living room and interview them as a suspect or as a victim or as a witness? What's it like to sit someone down in an interrogation room and really have a one-on-one across the table from them without turning the table over and throwing cups of coffee at the person and, and slapping them out of their handcuffs. That's just not the way things are done. I think people will be very interested in, in reading that. Where can people get more details that maybe order your book? Well, they can order the book off Amazon. They can also go to LanceLaRussoBooks.com. And if they go to my law firm website, which is LaRusso Law Firm, and they go to the bottom, they can actually get a preview of the first chapter. We are talking with Lance LaRusso. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Has this ever happened to you? You sign up for a free email newsletter, and within hours, you're receiving tons of spam. That won't happen when you subscribe for the free Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. The Officer Down Memorial Podcast tells the real stories of the men and women we've lost in the line of duty. It is one of the darkest days in Itasca County's history. From the officers who were there. He's probably maybe one of the best investigators and a natural born one. And family and friends who were left behind. You try and get distance from people's tragedies, but the death of Beefy, it just shot home to all of us how permanent murder is. You can subscribe to the Officer Down Memorial Podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Today show, just go to our website and contact me through there. Our website is letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. Turn our conversation with Lance LaRusso talking about his new book and it's called hunting of men and i was trying to remember lance that quote from, i believe it was from hemingway about hunting of men and i kind of butchered it do you have a handy yeah i pulled it up there is no hunting like the hunting of man and those who have hunted armed men long enough and liked it never care for anything else thereafter People would think of things like The Purge or those kind of movies, and that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about going after hardcore criminals, and it is a rush. And I do remember many times when I caught that that bad guy, and there was almost like a primitive celebration deep down inside that I can't really explain. It's kind of funny when people talk about, uh, you know, well, you're going to talk about procedures, and there is a lot of limitations on what law enforcement officers can do and can't do. And maybe the reason Hollywood throws out all the rules, that's why they can solve a crime in 40 minutes. Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) You bring a a good thing in your book, The Hunting of Men. One of the things that is prominent in this book is about cold case investigation. That's something in law enforcement I've never done. And I'll be honest with you. I find it fascinating and intriguing. And the reason I never did it is because we were just so busy jumping from call to call to call. We never really had time to do that. It's a fascinating thing to me. It always has been. And in the book, Johnny Till uh, starts in the homicide unit, and his homicide unit has a ritual where you go in and you pick out a cold case. And he happens to pick the cold case of a murdered police officer that was not solved. Very big uh, bucket of problems to take on your first day in the uh, homicide unit. 
but it embodies so many different emotions that you'd have. And with cold cases, and I have some friends that work them, and our local DA set up an amazing cold case unit. There's some that you're going to find because technology's gotten better. You have DNA that hadn't been tested. You have a latent fingerprint that can now be lifted that couldn't be lifted before, or fiber evidence, or niben hits, things like that. But a lot of them are solved just by dogged determination, reopening leads, finding new witnesses, re-interviewing people, checking for people's alibis that were airtight 10, 15 years ago, but now something's come up to question it. I have tremendous respect for those folks because being a good investigator requires patience. Being a cold case investigator just requires the patience of Job and a lot of determination. And that's something I don't think I really have. Uh, I've never been in that position where I've had to do that. I, I do remember, as an example, when I was a young patrolman, we had a, a serial rapist on my post, and he was a, an unknown. He was attacking strangers, and people didn't know him had no idea, and, and he wanted to kiss them. It was a very strange MO that he had. And it took literally months and months of just talking to people and trying to find out who it could be to narrow it down and then finally getting a positive identification. And it took forever. Yeah, and you know, the other part of it, we talked about the elation of, of being able to solve a crime and put somebody in jail. And, and, you know, at least one state we're dealing with right now, they're kind of forcing the officers to practice catch and release. That's not going to go well. Uh, even for violent crimes. You know, when we look at the cold cases, the other amazing thing that's always fascinating to me ever since I was a young patrol officer is imagine being able to go to a victim who has not had closure. I mean, we've all seen these folks on the news, you know, my child's missing, my husband's missing, my spouse is missing. 15, 20 years, these people who hold out hope. Imagine being able to go to them one day and say, we closed the case, we found out who did it, and they're going to be held accountable. I can't imagine what an unbelievable, fulfilling role that has to be for these investigators. In the case I mentioned, Lance, being able to go back to one of the victims that started my involvement in the case as a patrolman, a uniformed patrolman working when I had time off, it was being able to say, we have the guy, we've got him arrested, and there was the relief that they experienced that they no longer live in fear of this guy returning to their home. It's funny because as law enforcement officers, some of the safety we believe is a little bit of uh, folly. You know, I can remember searching uh, this new company, uh, a Home Depot warehouse. I'm dating myself, but um, I remember searching a Home Depot with one other guy on morning watch when there's an alarm. It's crazy for us to think we were safe in there. We were, we were in control of absolutely nothing. But law enforcement likes to think they're in control. You know, we know how to take care of ourselves. We're trained. We can protect ourselves. Most of the time, we're armed. But the average citizen walking around hearing, like you were talking about, that there's a rapist loose on the beat, those are things that keep people from sleeping at night. They, they don't want to let their kids out on the bus stop. It just fundamentally changes them. And for all of the, the bashing that law enforcement's taking, there's good people in law enforcement throughout the United States and throughout the world. And the bottom line is they take that charge of being the protector very, very seriously. They do. And the vast majority of people I met or worked with since then are the best of the best. We've said it before when you've been on the show. There's no one that gets me like law enforcement and there's no one I get like law enforcement. And majority are phenomenal people. 
You have a couple that we don't want around. We will do everything to get rid of. No one wants them around. And that's the one that seems to, to throw the shadow across everybody. Well, it's kind of funny. I had a recent conversation with a journalist, and he was badgering me about bad cops. And I said, sure, there's, every profession has bad folks, but I've never seen a journalist arrest a bad cop. But professions police each ourselves, and that's just something that we've been doing forever. And if we gathered 100 or 1,000 people from your audience and said, okay, write down the name of a cop you know of who was sanctioned, fired, or arrested for bad conduct, every person on that list Every one of those thousand people would have somebody that would come to their mind. And that's because we police our own. We do. And there's another Hollywood misconception, and maybe your book handles this, maybe it doesn't come up in, in this story, that we have this blue line or blue wall of silence. We will never talk about what someone else does badly. And the truth is, if you have a bad cop in your district, everybody knows, everybody talks about it, and they find a way to get rid of them. Oh, there's no doubt. You know, and I remember as a very uh, a very young recruit, uh, probably eight, ten weeks into our total academy, we had a state academy and then we had a follow-up. I could remember our narcotics folks coming in, and they were on the agenda. We we're all excited. Hey, you know, young guys, what does a narc look like? And they came in, and they gave their little spiel, and they said, hey, before we go, we want to tell you something. And everybody's real quiet. They said, if we find out you're dirty, we're coming after you. Mm-hmm. And I never forgot that, and I was very impressed. There was, you know, and that's the other thing about the academy, the the thin blue line and lying for people. I don't know where the people in Hollywood went to school, but I'm going to tell you right now, I was told from day one that you don't lie for anybody, you don't cheat, you don't help anybody do anything illegal, and the bottom line is it's your job to route those folks out. So, you know, Johnny Till in this book really finds himself – not dealing with uh, bad cops, what he finds himself dealing with is just something else that I tried to get across. The frustration, uh, the emotion, the actual heartbreak, if you will, um, of officers realizing that they were not able to protect one of their own and protect the community because this person got away. And of course, you know, not to give the whole thing away, but of course, in the course of this, he winds up jumping into a, a whole other conspiracy that uh, that leads him to the end. And uh, I think people will really enjoy the ride. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're going to take a short break. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Another reason to like and follow us on Facebook, the mobile Facebook app. You can listen to the podcast there for free. So if you ever miss an episode of Law Enforcement Today Show, it's always on the mobile Facebook app. You know the one on your phone, which is free. It's easy to access the podcast and great articles, much more. By the way, feel free to send me a message. Say hello. If I can help you, let me know. That's on our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. Joining us on the phone, we have Lance LaRusso. Lance is an interesting character. He's been on the show a couple times before. Lance is a former law enforcement officer, 
he went to school while he was a law enforcement officer, became a lawyer. Now he practices law. He's the FOP lawyer, and he's also an accomplished author. Lance, how many books have you written so far? Oh, let's see. I think we're up to six. Uh, when Cops Kill was my first book about officer-involved shootings and critical incidents. Then we had Peacemaking, which is about a cop's walk with Christ. Then we had Blue News, which was about law enforcement and media. Also, Parallax, has five short stories about law enforcement. And now Hunting of Men, which is my first full-length novel. While you're writing these books, you're a practicing attorney. You're very busy with FOP defense, and you're very busy, not just the state of Georgia, but you do defense work in other states as well. What are some other areas? So I'm licensed in Tennessee, um, and I actually just had a shooting case up in Tennessee at the end of last year. I'm also uh, licensed in Arkansas, and I was recently brought in. I know some of your readers will uh, remember the Starks case from Little Rock uh, Police Department. I can talk a little bit about what's public out there. This was an officer who was involved in a shooting on February 22nd of 2019. He was trailing through the use of cameras. People were telling him that there was a stolen car. He uh, wound up in a confrontation with the person who was driving the stolen car, who was a convicted felon, was on cocaine and PCP. The person hit the officer with the car, and eventually the officer fired, and uh, unfortunately the man lost his life. So the officer was cleared by the DA, and the department fired him. So we've been, I've been working with his counsel, very capable counsel, in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, to see if we can get him his job back. We got the termination reversed, and now the city has appealed and tried to stay the imposition of the order, putting him back to work. So this is a guy who's now been out of work since May of 19 uh, without a steady paycheck. And all he was doing was his job. He was doing his job, and he was trying to stay alive. And somebody drew a great parallel. This is not mine. I'm not going to steal this. Somebody drew a great parallel the other day on a radio show and talked about an officer, I think it was in Baltimore, who was run down and killed. female officer was run down and killed and said, you know, she was buried as a hero, and she should have been. Here's an officer who did not get killed during that interaction, and he's being vilified. You know, protests all over uh, Little Rock, it's just a horrible situation. You know, in 2018, we had an increase in the number of officers who were injured or killed, and part of those numbers that was very interesting to me, usually we have two officers a year killed, on average, one or two, by vehicular assaults. And I had to explain this to a reporter. They, I, they, I said, well, there's been an increase. And they said, well, you mean like cops directing traffic? It's like, no, somebody using a car as a weapon. Mm-hmm. In 2018, there were nine. So what we're seeing is not only a more violent criminal element, but what we're seeing is people more willing to use vehicles just to run officers down. And it's not just police officers. We, we've seen it internationally with terrorists using rental trucks, trying to run over as many people as possible. Absolutely. And then on the same time, we have people who uh, come up with these policy statements that an officer should not use deadly force if a vehicle is being used against them, and then fill in the blank of whatever ridiculous argument they picked up at a seminar or some insurance agent told them to put in the policy. Uh, The bottom line is, again, getting back to the willingness of a person to injure or kill, and you can't hit a person with a car over about three miles an hour with expecting a high likelihood of serious bodily injury or death. They'll do that to a a law enforcement officer wearing the badge of his office. They will do anything to a private citizen. And they certainly will. This is something I know you're going to understand and comprehend. We had a philosophy. I had this philosophy, and it was taught to me early on as a young patrolman in Baltimore 
that I would rather be tried by 12 than carried by six. And unfortunately, nowadays, it seems that in order for an officer to survive, it's almost guaranteed that 95% of the time, they're going to get arrested, indicted, and charged. Well, and it's really interesting. I talk about this in When Cops Kill, just to, you know, this is what you can expect when the smoke clears, and I think the book has helped a lot of people. As you know, uh, When Cops Kill, Blue News, Peacemaking, we donate the profits to law enforcement charities. Right now, we're up to about $28,000. But the bottom line, that mystery of what's going to happen afterwards, now it's no longer a mystery. We're going to have second-guessing. We're going to have media assaults. We're going to have death threats against the officer and their family. I've had officers who have had to move out of their houses. I've actually had my house and my office on zone patrol for uh, you know weeks at a time. And the bottom line is we've got to get to a point in the country where we are able to objectively look at use of force. So let me give you an example how other professions do this. When we have a use of force, that's what the officer does in the course of their profession. So if we look at the medical profession, we look at the airline profession, if we believe there has been a bad outcome, we apply what's called a standard of care. What would a reasonable officer do under like or similar circumstances? That's what we use with pilots. We use it with doctors. And in that analysis, even if the officer made a mistake, and this is what Graham versus Connor is all about, we judge the officer from a reasonable officer, not from what you, sitting in your living room, watching a video 250 times on frame advance, see something different than the officer saw. We have gotten to a point where we are expecting superhuman performance from officers, superhuman reactions, and if a pilot crash lands a plane tomorrow and everybody dies except him or her, and they walk out of the plane, about fifth down on the checklist of ways to blame the pilot is criminal action. We look at training. We look at equipment. We look at communications. We look at misunderstandings. We look at directions. We look at instructions. We look at supervision. But if an officer shoots someone in low light when the person moved, despite being told to put their hands up and they jerked their hands up quickly from their waistband where an officer reasonably believed this person who was supposed to be armed, whatever the facts are, and they pull out a cell phone, the first default is that cop needs to go to jail for murder. That's got to change. And if you want an explanation of how dire the circumstances are, ask anybody in your listening audience, and I know it's vast, how many people they have lining up by the bus full to be cops these days. Not many. Not many. It's a crisis. And then the other part of the crisis, Jay, is that at that 20-year mark, people are like, hey, I hit the button, I'm out of here. Absolutely. Fast I can. And on the way out, they're telling their kids not to be cops. Absolutely. I I had that conversation with a, a nephew who was in a police academy in Virginia and has since opted to go to nursing school. I've had a conversation with, with one of my daughters who wanted to be, was interested in being a police officer in Buffalo, New York. And while I love the profession, I love policing. I love police officers, what they do. I cannot stand and stomach what society is doing to them. It's heartbreaking. And I've seen officers almost that I've known for 30 years almost sit there with tears in their eyes saying, my kid came to me and I told him not to do this. And that's the reality. That's what I, I told him. I, I wanted so badly. Uh, with my nephew, when he asked me what what department should I apply to, I had to tell him, do not apply to my old department, the Baltimore Police Department. You will learn so much about policing. I worked with some of the best of the best, but the politics in City Hall and the corruption, the political corruption, whatever you want to call it, 
that starts at the head and works its way down, you will get caught up in it and you will not get the support of the news media or anyone. And that's yeah. just a reality. It's a, yeah, it is reality, and it's unfortunate. And, you know, I wonder about not only the profession, I wonder about the public. Are we five years away from the crisis? If we're having a 90% drop in recruiting, according to ABC, there was a poll they did uh, fall of 2016, that there was a 90% drop in recruiting in some places. If we're having a 90% drop in recruiting and we're having people leave on an early out, sooner or later, both ends of that stick keep getting smaller and smaller. And, and we're going to hit it. Around and we're going to hit a, a crisis tipping point, and we're going to talk more about that in just a few moments. Got to take a break. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Missed an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore, because now you can listen to it on Podopolo. The free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there, too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. If you haven't done so already, please download our app. It's 100% free. We got versions for your Android and iPhone devices, 100% free. You can download them today at our website, which is letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. Be sure to get yours today. Return conversation with Lance LaRusso, former law enforcement officer, attorney, FOP attorney, he represents law enforcement officers and everybody else, as a matter of fact, and is also an accomplished author. Before we get into our conversation, where can people get more information about all your books? They can get uh, the book on the, the new book, uh, Hunting of Men, um, at LanceLaRussoBooks.com or at Amazon. And if they go to my law firm website, they can get the first chapter to review. And your law firm website address is one more time? LaRussoLawFirm.net. And they'll also get a guide uh, for protecting yourself after an officer-involved shooting. We were talking before we went to break. One of the things, I just had a, a guest on the show, Sheriff Tim Cameron from St. Mary's County, Maryland Sheriff's Department. And it's an area where I moved to as a teenager. I know it very, very well. As a matter of fact, it was the first agency I wanted to work for. They weren't hiring at the time, back in, way back in 1980. And I went to Baltimore. He, he has such a shortage of law enforcement officers. And he said, getting good, get, getting the best of the best. And they won't, they won't cut corners. Getting the best of the best is costing them about $183,000 to recruit and train one officer. One. And they can't keep them. They lose them after three, four years to other agencies to pay more. Oh, there's no doubt. And, and you know, people complain that, you know, law enforcement's just belly aching. What they don't get is in every one of these agencies, let's say, just to put this in the, in the, the general person's understanding, you have a burglary at your house. You want your stuff found. You want that bad guy off the street. For every time an officer can't get recruited, there's, a, there's less detectives because there's less officers, so you can't promote someone to be a detective. So there's less people working on those cases the piles keep growing on those desks, and those crimes just flat don't get solved. And, you know, at, recently I had a conversation with someone talking. as a journalist. He was, uh, it was kind of the – I've done over 550 media interviews, so I kind of get used to this. And I teach media response at the Georgia Command College and around the country. And 
uh, it was the, t- the tag team, the, the good cop, bad cop. I don't know why anybody would think that, you know, that would work anymore. But Especially on us. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's not my first time at the rodeo. And he said, you know, well, I just don't understand where these cops are coming from, you know, getting this and getting that. And I said, so you, it doesn't sound like you're very happy with American law enforcement right now. I said, well, I think there's a lot of things they could do differently, and they're not well-trained. I said, well, look, we can argue about that all day long, but I'm going to tell you something. If you don't like who we've got out there now, you're going to hate the second string. Because when we get the people who couldn't pass background checks five years ago because some idiot decided it's more important to fill a beat than it is to make sure that the person who's answering your call at your house at four in the morning for a prowler doesn't have a felony conviction, then you're going to have a problem. Absolutely. And that's a a very well-put point. One of the things that, that Sheriff Cameron talked about is that, you know, his patrol staff which is the backbone of any law enforcement agency. And when you dial 911 because you have a family emergency, that's who shows up, is getting more and more understaffed. And they have to do more and more and work longer hours. And the consequence of that is more stress, more stress-related issues, less time with their family, more marital problems. And it's not fair to those doing the job to not have reinforcements. But if you can't get the reinforcements, what do you do? And unfortunately, one of the things you do, which is near and dear to my heart and everybody else listening to you, is you have officers showing up alone for calls that 15, 20 years ago, you and I would not show up on a, alone on a bet. And if we were a beat partner, we would be chastised if we let oh, yeah. our beat partner go there alone. Absolutely. And when you do that, the flip side is, I'm not saying it's just to be pro-police. As uh, American citizens, one of the luxuries we have that a lot of countries don't have, and a lot of people take this for granted, if you have a family emergency any time of day or night, almost anywhere in the United States, maybe parts of Alaska and, and parts of rural America, it's more difficult, but you can pick the phone, dial 911, and the first responders are going to be there. And it's usually the police first, because they're usually the closest, they're out there moving, they're patrol, and the fire department's stuck at a station somewhere. You want the best possible person there for selfish reasons. I don't want a scumbag coming to my house. I don't want a loose cannon coming to my house. You know, and that's the the other myth that really bothers me is they're the perpetuating myth. And, you know, we talked about Hollywood and the news and, and, uh, and some of the activists that are out there. They perpetuate this idea that every cop is that loose cannon. And, you know, when I teach, and I teach about 2,000 cops a year from the U.S. and Canada, all different agencies, I ask a question, how many of y'all could have shot someone legally and never pulled the trigger. And I've never asked that question without at least two-thirds of the hands going up. Officers in the United States exert amazing restraint. You know, we make about 12 to 13 million arrests a year, and officers shoot and kill less than 1,000 people a year. Oh, absolutely. In my own personal experience, there were three incidents where I could have, I could have pulled the trigger and didn't. Two shots were fired at me. I didn't fire back. And I... At the time, I couldn't tell you why. It just was not the appropriate response. I knew that in my mind from what I saw. The last two were tremendous gunfights, and they were horrific. And you'll never forget them. No, and you know what? I don't I don't think about all the good things that happen. Every now and then they do. But the ones that come up, like you said earlier in the interview, it's the bad things that revisit you when you least expect. And when they revisit me the most often, Lance, is when I'm stressed out. I'm burning the candle both ends. I'm not eating like I should. I'm not getting the rest I should. I'm not doing the basic things to take care of myself. And I pay the price. Well, and there's also a lesson there, too. It's not just that it, you know, it, it, that lives long after you leave the job. 
The other lesson is, too, when I talked about asking for superhuman qualities from law enforcement officers, we ask officers to describe details after a shooting of things that their brain did not care about at all. They're focused on you know, what the person's hands were doing, where they were moving. And then you ask them a question, well, who is standing behind them? They don't care. No, I couldn't even tell you. And because they didn't care about it at the time, because their reptilian brain was saying, this is not important, focus on this. You know, a camera may have picked it up, but if you're not focused on it, it's not imprinting into your brain. It's not going to be part of your memory. So that's part of the problem I have. And I've lectured on this a lot. When we have officers being cross-examined, or when they're being told they can't watch a videotape prior to making a statement, it just sets them up. They're never going to be as accurate as the video. And the bottom line is that's not what they're required to do. There's actually the Institute for Municipal Lawyers Association, which I'm I'm sure you're a member, Um, but um, they actually have put out a statement that says, a position statement that says officers should be allowed to review body camera video and any other footage prior to making a statement. But this notion that, and I I spoke about this at the IACP conference a few years ago in Philadelphia, this notion that if you let officers look at their videos, they'll lie. You know, if you believe that and you're in law enforcement, then please sit down at your desk right now, grab a post-it note, because that's about all your resignation's worth, and write it out and leave. Absolutely. It's not just law enforcement. There have been study after study when you have someone who's a witness of a crime, and they give a description, and it turns out it's very, very, very wrong. And we've seen video evidence of it, and it's, I like what you said, the reptilian brain. And unfortunately, we are running out of time. That means we'll have to have you back again in the future. But I want to make sure that we have time to talk about uh, your books and, in particular, your latest novel. It sounds fascinating. Where can people get more information and buy the book? Well, we have something very, very fresh produce for you. It is now live, huntingofmen.com. We'll get them to my uh firm website where they can get, if they sign up for the website uh, newsletter, they will get a free copy of Chapter 1. They can also go to Amazon.com. The book is available as an e-book and a print book, and we will have an audio book coming. So that makes your sixth book. Yes. And this one is a fiction novel based off of real characters and real stories. Exactly. Full-length novel, and, and in some cases, Jay, quite frankly, just a tribute to some of the fine men and women that I have met and been privileged to work with. And as my wife read the book, she said, you know, your female characters are just really tough. I'm not going to say exactly what she said about what they kick. But, you know, uh, she said, where'd you come up with that? I said, you know, I've worked with some amazing female officers Absolutely. who were just incredible, you Absolutely. know, and, and they don't get the credit they should get. And, you know, they, they, they're not the damsels in distress. They're the ones that will be pushing you out of the way to protect your butt if you're their B partner. Absolutely. Lance LaRusso, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Thanks for having me again. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. We'll be right back.